Welcome to the Two Stewards Show. This is our final episode on our mini-series on biblical stewardship principles. In episode 19, we discussed the world we live in and laid out a bit of context for Christian investors. Episode 20, last time we uh, reviewed some of the biblical principles that serve to guide our investment decisions. And if you haven't listened to those two, go check them out. This time, we explore exactly how real estate fits into the picture. So is it appropriate for Christians to take on debt? Uh, and to invest? Is it fair for uh, investors to be buying up all the houses, especially in the middle of a housing crisis? Uh, How exactly do we navigate these ethical challenges? Mark and I, we both believe that real estate is still a great option for stewarding your wealth. And if it's something that interests you, but you're not sure exactly how to get started, uh, we both love to chat about this stuff. We have uh, unique ways of accessing the real estate market. So feel free to reach out. Uh, on our webpage at www.twostewards.ca. Finally, we love to hear brilliant comments from all of our engaged listeners. So interact with the show, give your valuable feedback at hello at twostewards.ca. That's hello at twostewards.ca. And without further ado, let's get into it. Welcome. Is that good? welcome everybody to the two stewards show um this is super exciting because mark is back in studio with his beard and all so if you're not watching uh, i encourage you go over to the youtube channel and check him out i mean check out the youtube channel uh i got my beard starting so (laughs) we're getting there we're gonna get you there brent I'm uh, an apprentice when it comes to beards <laughs> of Mark, which is, uh, he's a veteran. Yes. So. <laughs> Good thing it's an easy skill to uh, develop. Yeah. So you, you just, just sit have and to wait not do anything. And not do anything. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so this is now our third uh, little episode on biblical stewardship principles. And yes, we sir. talked uh, a little bit of originally about the context that we live in. As Christians, we live in a world... Um, that has many sinful evil forces. We have evil forces inside of ourselves. And then we talked about in the next episode about biblical stewardship principles. Mm -hmm. So some of the ideas that we pull uh, from the Bible to help guide us uh, when we're making our uh, decisions, investing. And today we want to talk a little bit more about how real estate fits into the whole picture. Um, Because real estate kind of gets a bad rap sometimes. Um, there are certain options we can choose when we're stewarding or investing our money, mm-hmm. right? And real, real estate is one of them. And both Mark and I really like real estate <laughs> um, for good reason. Uh, but it also is a tough conversation to have because there's some ethical dilemmas or what appears to be some ethical dilemmas around this. <laughs> <laughs> false dilemmas, so call okay, them. False dilemmas. <laughs> uh, what do you call that? Is that just a false dilemma? I don't even know. There's a word for that. (laughs) Anyways, so one of the first ones is uh, surrounding debt and borrowing. Yeah. So I guess the question is, can Christians take on debt within a within a biblical framework? Is debt something that we can take on? Yeah. And that's I mean, that's because uh, debt is sort of foundational to real estate investing. Yeah. And um, I think we've established. If you want to buy a house in today's world, you got to, you want, let's say it's 500000 to go low. You got to have that kind of cash lying around to buy a house. That's going to be basically impossible. Yeah. I mean, some so, people do. Yeah. Some people. Yeah. But um, yeah, I guess the, uh, I, I, just to maybe recap or to give a quick bit of context, like, if you're listening, we figure that real estate is the best investment tool for the average person, better than uh, stocks or mutual funds, or, you know, maybe with the exception of starting your own business. And uh, we've talked about that as well, right? That's just not for everybody. Yeah. And if you're um, talking about the average person, um, well, I know I know a lot of average people who started businesses. <laughs> <laughs> Having your own business doesn't make you like an above average person. Yeah, it's a lot of struggles. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But um, but it can also be uh, a vehicle for wealth creation. Yeah, and um, you know, it, it, we we'll talk about that later. Maybe wealth versus money. 
but uh, you know, for short of having your own business, um, real estate is, uh, I think, yeah, like you said, best thing for the average person to to get into. And then you know, that depends on where you are. We're talking in our context, North America specifically. Yeah. And a lot of that revolves around leverage, right? In the first few episodes, we talked about seven different reasons why real estate is a superior investment vehicle. Um, and one of those is leverage, and that involves borrowing. So to your point, you said if somebody yeah. has 500 grand laying around to buy a house, which is what you need in some countries, right? There's just no financing. You yeah. want to buy a house, you pay cash for it. Um, so it's, yeah, a whole different system. But here, right, you, you would kind of be foolish probably to buy a house in cash if you had that 500 grand sitting around, right? You could buy two, three, four houses, depending on the, the down payments you need to put down um, and create more streams of income in more uh, equity growth. Yeah. And, you know, if you like if you're listening to this and, and you haven't listened to some of the other ones, maybe um to understand the concept of leverage, go back to, I, I don't know what episode it would be, like three, four, five. Um, but to understand how leverage works, you know, once it's, when it's properly, um, properly applied uh, yeah. and how, like what a benefit that can be. So, but that then takes us to the question, can Christians borrow? Yeah. And um, yeah, for me, that was never really uh, an issue until <laughs> yeah, I talked to some, I've had discussions with people or just seen discussions where people online. have, yeah, online generally, because that's where I like to do most of my arguing, uh, <laughs> <laughs> right? Can Christians borrow? Yeah. And people um, who are against that would say, you know, they'll quote something like Deuteronomy 15 verse six, you will lend to many nations, but you will not borrow. And that would, that was like a, a, a prophecy about Israel's wealth. And they'll say like, see, borrowing is bad. Right, lending okay, borrowing not okay. Yeah. Um, and like I think that's a pretty simplistic view. And again, we talk about sort of proof texting, right? Like pulling a text or two, and saying like, "Hey, this is, you know, I, I draw this conclusion because that's what it says in this text." And maybe there's another one to back that up, right? But like, yeah. read the whole Bible and get context. What did we learn? So to me, that's it's kind of a simplistic view. Um, because, uh, yeah, we, we read like Psalm 37, the wicked borrows, but does not pay back. So it doesn't say the wicked borrows and then that's it. He borrows with the intent of not paying back. That's wicked, yeah. right? Um, well, that Deuteronomy 15 passage, uh, it's kind of like a blessing because the, the Lord is blessing yeah. the nation of Israel and saying, well, uh, the Lord your God will bless you as he's promised. And you shall lend to the nations, but you shall not borrow. So it's almost looked at on, uh, you should be in a position of power over the nations, right? Like you yeah. should be in an advantageous position. And at, like following that statement, it says you shall rule over many nations. They shall not rule over you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that, that's interesting because if you look at the state, United States, for example, that's what they've done. They have lent to many nations and now they exert economic and maybe not military but it's implied but they exert economic control over these nations yeah and like i was thinking about solomon i am sure that solomon um and, and the the israelite kingdom were net lenders to nations around them yeah. and you know you read about all these tributes coming in and you know their military might but certainly that would have also been economic yeah. um power power yeah. By the fact that they lend, and because influence. when someone owes you money, now you can influence their politics, their whatever, much more easily, right? Because yeah. you kind of got them. Yeah, um, you see that in China too today, right? Yeah, prime we, example. Uh, we have one listener from China. So hey! shout out to... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's a small percentage of the population of China. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was yeah. probably an accident. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, but no, they're they're a nation where they're using their um, economic influence and lending to nations, right, and, and debting other nations as a means to um, have power over them as well, right? 
Yeah, yeah, and I mean, to be fair, I think they're just following the U.S.'s uh, yeah. example, right? People talk about like, oh, they're weaponizing uh, debt and economics yeah. and stuff, and yeah, they are, but U.S. has been doing it for a long time. Yeah. Let's not, uh, <laughs> you know, let's be honest here. Um, uh. But yeah, Proverbs t- 22 talks about the rich rules over the poor and the borrower becomes the lender's slave. So yeah, caution is advised when borrowing. Um, Jesus, sold- slavery is a pretty harsh uh, yeah. reality, right? Yeah, absolutely. But that's essentially exactly what it can be. Um, and you think of like some of the payday loan places too, right? People can become yeah. very quickly enslaved with these horrendous uh, rates that they have to pay um, once they get into that cycle. But um, Jesus told parables as well about borrowers and lenders. And generally he was pretty harsh on the lenders, yeah. not on the borrowers. So again, most of these were not for, necess- for treating the borrowers poorly, fairly or yeah. poorly, or yeah, for taking advantage of them through the lending. And again, the you know the the lesson isn't always just about economics uh, in these parables, but it's also illustrative of um, of society and and kind of what he thought about lending and borrowing. And he accepted that as a normal course of uh, fact in yeah. um, in Israel. So I think you can kind of deduce from, you know, reading all these many things that um, that borrowing in the right context is okay. Borrowing with the intent not to pay back, that's that's evil. Yeah, that's not right. And then um, we were talking about Romans thirteen as well because that's another one that people. Uh, will use and uh, I don't know if Dave Ramsey uses this one specifically <laughs> but um, a lot of people who follow Dave Ramsey would right oh no one anything yeah and you had some thoughts about that yeah so um, oh no one anything if you just take that statement uh, at face value right that seems to basically say um, okay I shouldn't take on debt um, and this, uh, let me just pull up the passage here. What was it? Romans 13 verse eight. Yeah. Good, uh, context here. So this is following on, uh, a passage that talks about, um, you know, our, uh, how we owe, um, different things to different authorities. We owe, uh, taxes to the government, for example, right? We owe, uh, respect, honor, Um, we have to be submissive. So all these debts that are outstanding in our lives, uh, we have to pay. And then it comes to verse eight and it says, Oh, no one, anything. Um, so it says, okay, well, you have to pay all those debts that you have to, uh, for example, the government and you have to pay your taxes, right? You can't, uh, avoid doing that. Um, but after you've paid your taxes, that debt is, is gone right Mm -hmm. like you paid your taxes you don't have another tax bill till next year okay well that debt is extinguished um but it it makes a comment except so oh no and anything except to love each other right so the idea is that uh, the only outstanding debt in your life should be uh the debt to love because you can never cancel the debt to love somebody right that's uh that's the fulfillment of the law um if you uh if you say, okay, <laughs> I've loved that person enough. That debt is done, right? I've loved my neighbor today. Uh, you know, I helped, I helped this lady cross the street, you know, and now I don't owe her anything. Like, yeah, if that's... I see her struggling tomorrow, I, I <laughs> yeah. already did it. Yeah, Sorry, we did lady. it this year. We got to, next year we'll help her again, you know, we'll get some groceries. Um, so that's what it's tackling, right? It's saying, okay, yeah. you shouldn't have debts outstanding in your life to all these other areas, but the debt that you can never cancel or get rid of is the debt to love. So that kind of takes it out of context when you say we should not borrow at all, right? Because it assumes that you're going to have other debts, right? You owe yeah. somebody honor, you owe somebody respect, um, you owe the ta- taxes to the government, you like you have various debts and it's acknowledging that, yeah. um, but it's just acknowledging that you, you can never pay the debt to love. Um, so anyways, that just says basically we, it doesn't say we cannot borrow. Um, it just provides a little bit of a framework for uh, that we do have to pay down our debts. Yeah, and, and 
yeah, the overarching concept is always like we're slaves to Christ. Don't yeah. be slaves to anything else. So yeah. if you're putting yourself in a bad situation where you're a slave to somebody because you owe them um, all this money, like that's a bad idea, right? Another uh, text that I've heard, James uh, 4, around verse 13, don't presume on God's will for the future. Um, so then people say, so that would include borrowing. Yeah. Because you're presuming that he is going to bless whatever you're doing with that money. Um, so, like, yeah, I guess so. But then we couldn't do anything in life. <laughs> right? You can't make any kind of... Then you could not make any plans because you're presuming on... Like, yeah. I shouldn't go to work today because I'm presuming on That's uh, the God's passage will. that says, I'm making money. today or tomorrow I will go into such and such a city yeah. and I will do business and I will make a profit. Yep. And you're basically presuming that it's all in your power and control to do these things. Um, you have the, uh, wherewithal within yourself to make these decisions and to execute them. And you do not need God's guidance or providence or blessing yeah. to make a profit and to, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, don't, like you still have to act and that's pretty clear throughout the Bible, right? If you don't work, you shouldn't eat. Um, so again, a little bit taken out of context, I think, right? You have to understand yeah. really what that passage is saying. Like you said, right? It's, it's your, um, yeah, that passage in particular is talking as well about boasting, right? If you're, uh, arrogant in your, uh, presumption, you're saying, look, I will do this and me and, um, you know, in my own power, I will go and, and, uh, not considering that, no, you know, you are but a mist and your life can be taken away. And, um, do we get issues with the camera? No, no, we're, right. we're, good. we're good. And, uh, everything is in God's control. So, uh, another comment too, is that we should like debt is not specifically condemned, but, um, we still have wisdom to glean from uh, the Bible around, you know, do not take on useless expenses, for example, right? Like if you're just taking on a debt, um, and we've talked about this before too. So for example, buying a car, right? We use yep. debt to buy things that are not assets in our lives, right? So if you take on debt to just go to the Bahamas on a vacation, um, I don't want to say that's a useless expense, but at the same time, that's not necessarily. Have you, have you been to the Bahamas? No, Front? I okay, haven't. Maybe you go there before you say that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is coming from a guy with a big beard, much bigger than me. So obviously, have you been to the Bahamas? No. Oh. <laughs> Sorry, but I don't want to judge. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, but I'm just saying there's things that are in our lives that can be tempting to purchase that are frivolous or useless. Um, that are really self-serving and taking on debt to buy those things. That's something that we can safely say, like that's something that should be avoided. Right. Yeah. And can, like, can you also, can you pay it back? Yeah. Like number one, it's a lifestyle thing. Yeah. And number two, can you pay it back? Are you taking on that yeah. debt without intention of paying it back? Yeah. And part of the reason somebody might do that and make that decision is, um, you want to be perceived as somebody who has money. Yeah. Right. Um, and so then your motivation for making those purchases is self-serving. Um, you're making an idol of yourself or money. Uh, so the other, another thing too is, um, I guess hinge onto that is just to be careful to take on like that. You don't take on debts that you don't have the power to discharge. Yeah. And that ties into real estate as well, because if you're buying an asset that, has a source of income attached to it, um, then you do, in a sense, have power to discharge that debt, right? You have an asset that's secured against it. You have an income stream that helps to pay for it. So if you run the numbers properly, and if you make a wise decision when you're buying, um, you should have, in many instances, the power to discharge the debt, right? So you're not just frivolously buying something that, you know, where are you going to get the money to pay for it? Yeah, and it's part of the bank's due diligence as well. They underwrite the deal, right? And and they 
Yeah, they actually own the asset. Yeah, yeah. Right? Like you're accruing you all the mortgage. benefits, but if you have a mortgage, they own that asset. Yeah. So, you know, you like looking at that, it's pretty clear that you're not entering into a contract without or with the intent of not paying it back. Well, that's an argument a plan. for not taking on debt too, right? You don't actually own your house until it's paid for. Yeah, I mean, I guess you could apply that to uh, like a personal residence as well, right? Yeah. Wait until you have the money to buy it in cash. And like, as we've seen lately. Or if, pay it off as quickly as possible. Well, I mean, if you really want to be like dogmatic about it, it reminds me of Obelix and uh, Asterix and Obelix <laughs> conversation. Dogmatics was the little dog. Yeah. Uh, but if you want to be dogmatic about it, right, you you shouldn't buy a house until you have the the cash to pay for it. Yeah. And the problem is that, like today, you will never buy a house because your ability to save versus inflation, inflation will probably outpace your ability to save up for that house. Yeah. Um, you know, not to say like we should have principles when it comes to buying and borrowing and that should determine our action, not always like practical matters, but, um, just pointing that out that, uh, yeah, you'll, you'll never get into a house if that's your attitude. But, um, but the whole point is that this is a, you know, it's a contract between you and the, the lender and yeah, they own the, the property and generally speaking, they will be made whole even if you default, like if yeah. you can't for some reason pay, um, they're not going to lose out because they retain the asset, right? And they're only, especially with an investor, right? You're going to put 20% of your money down. Yeah. Um, so there's that, at least that amount of equity in the property. Yeah. So that if the bank has to take it back there. You know, and when you say equity, that's actually real savings that you've saved up, right? It's not... Um, because when you put up down payment, I guess you could borrow that from somewhere else. But the idea is that yeah. in the lender's eyes, that's actual money. Well, even let's say you did borrow from somewhere else, that's still real money from somewhere. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we can get into like fractional reserve banking. <laughs> we should. <laughs> We've talked about that before. We, we don't have to get into the purposes of this, uh, this discussion. <laughs> but yeah, the point is there, there's money down, there's real, um, capital that's been invested yeah. and that provides a safeguard for the lender. And that generally continues, um, you know, if you never refinance, uh, that only gets better and better Yeah. so that, you know, you're not engaging in a contract that you cannot, um, that you cannot back. fulfill, yeah. right? I guess because there's two two things that would be wrong taking on debt. One would be um, doing it with the intent of not paying it back and then doing it with maybe not the intent, but a like foolishly a, a chance that you're not going to be able to pay it back, yeah. right? And that is not what happens in real estate, um, you know, when you when you invest properly, right? It is yeah. It is possible and we've seen it like the great financial crisis, where everybody got a little bit crazy and yeah. they're lending based on nothing. Um, yeah, and that's a speculation too, right? So yeah. we want to be able to avoid like uh, speculating in excess and um, any kind of rash decision, uh, especially when you're buying a property, right? Like yeah. you don't want to make a quick flippant decision with no data or due diligence or... Um, uh, in the context of borrowing, a good uh, method of paying that debt back, right? Because whenever your decision you make, once the deal closes or once you have the property, um, that could expose you to uh, a situation where you can't, uh, in, in the words of Romans 13, like render to all their due, right? Yeah. So you're, you're as a Christian, your goal is to pay everyone back, yeah. right? And that's uh, a biblical thing. But if you put yourself rashly into a position where you can't uh, and overextend, then that's not wise. <laughs> no, no. So, and that's, yeah, you have to do, um, you have to be educated. You have to do your research, right? Plan slowly and act quickly. Yeah. Sometimes you may need to like make a decision, but yeah. you need to have all that work done in the background beforehand so that you are yeah. quick and to... rash, I guess are two different things, right? Yeah. If, if you're prepared and you're prudent in your uh, preparations and planning, yeah. then you can make a quick decision, but it's not a rash decision yeah. where 
you're not uh, properly judging all of the different outcomes and um, evaluating whether or not one's going to be more likely or yeah 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 so um yeah i don't know i think that kind of uh so we can take on that mark (laughs) (laughs) prudently um But yeah, I think that kind of addresses the whole borrowing thing to me anyways, right? Yeah. I know some people may not be convinced. Yeah, we don't have that. as high an intellect as you do, so it's well, hard. Ooh, where? <laughs> where? <laughs> um, um, nah, intellect, it's common sense, I think. Yeah. But um, yeah, to me that kind of puts the, the borrowing thing... Um, to bed. To bed, right? You have to approach it from a biblical perspective. And, you know, as opposed to like, that's just how it works. Yeah. Right. That's not a good approach either. No. Right. You can't just be like, well, that's how it works. And yeah, that's everybody the system. else is doing it. Yeah. yeah. Right. Um, Follow like sheep. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> well, that so. gets us into the Christian um, ethics or moralities, morality, ethics surrounding um, real estate investing. So, and yeah. specifically, uh, I want to focus on the word investors, right? It's terrible so, investors. Are investors bad? And are they causing a housing shortage? That, That is, a, I think, a more common argument. I haven't heard so much that debt is necessarily bad. Like parts of different yeah. debt, uh, like, yeah, what we talked about, you know, not being able to pay it back. Okay, that's a fairly common argument. But um, I guess you hear more about how, especially in the news, how, Investors are bad. They're buying houses. Uh, homeowners can't afford them, right? Uh, so they're driving up the prices of these houses, mm-hmm. and that's not right, uh, especially for Christians to partake in. Yeah. So what do we say to that? <laughs> <laughs> that's a so big question. The, the first thing we talked about about borrowing, yeah, comes from a Christian perspective. And although I disagree with it, that is somebody like doing what they're supposed to do, going to the Bible and getting guidance there, right? The second argument about investors are bad and they're driving up costs of uh, houses and stuff doesn't come from a Christian perspective. And I'm sorry if you think that it does, it doesn't, right? It comes from, uh, from Marxism, from identity politics, from sort of the new, um, uh, zeitgeist that we have um, in our culture and we talked about this a little bit before about zero-sum um, math where basically yeah, the... we got to explain zero-sum again <laughs> okay well I can I... never figure this out you add <laughs> things together and it equals zero <laughs> so the idea no, that that's there's not how it works <laughs> no but it's the idea that there's a finite amount of wealth and that if somebody is becoming richer, yeah, um, yeah, we'll we'll say richer. If somebody's you know more successful or becoming richer, then they must be causing someone else to become poorer. Yeah, and I think we pretty well disproved that in. Uh, it's I the pie, right? There's yeah, one the pie. pie. It has X number of pieces. Yeah. If this guy has all of them, all those other people have none. Yeah. Yeah. So he is directly affecting the, you know, the quality of their life. Yeah. Right. And we talked about that and it's like, it's not true. The pie has gotten bigger over the, uh, over the years. Yeah. Cause decades, that's the other way centuries. to look at it. Right. Yeah. You could look at it as if it's a zero sum as if, yeah. you know, one gets at the other, at the expense of others Yeah. or the other way is, um, the pie gets bigger. Yeah. And that like, I'm sorry, it's just reality. Yeah. The pie gets bigger yeah. through trade, through commerce. The pie gets, and I'm not, you know, we're not talking about the money supply, the amount of money in the economy, because that has gotten bigger too. And that's actually the problem we're talking about, but, um, (laughs) right. But in terms of real wealth, right. Because we talked about like standards of living and how Kings and Queens lived centuries ago and how even, um, even the poorest folks in the world. Okay. So we can nip that in the bud right away. Like money is not wealth. Yeah, okay. Yeah, maybe we should talk about that real quick. Because I think the two have become synonymous yeah. today. People say, oh, that's a wealthy guy. like, And they basically mean he has lots of money, right? Yeah. Or if somebody gets lots of money, okay, he's wealthy. That's not necessarily true, right? No. Because money uh, does not equate to wealth. 
and I guess we could define money and wealth and take another six episodes. <laughs> Maybe we should. <laughs> uh, but real wealth is actually the things, right? Like, uh, well, you could say it's hard assets. Yeah. So, but food. For example, uh, yeah, okay. right? food's maybe not a hard asset, but it's an I've asset. always heard like wealth is a measure of time. Okay. Uh, and what I mean is uh, when someone's wealthy, it's how, how long can you sustain your current standard of living without working or producing okay. income, yeah. right? So obviously you need goods and services to live, right? You need a house to live in, you need food to eat. So those things cost money. Yeah. Right. But if you're wealthy, uh, you would be able to have those things and not uh, have the income side of it, like not go to work and expense. So um, I don't know. Does that illustrate it? Yeah, I think it does. Because if you're subsistence farming or living on a subsistence level, you're not wealthy. You can last one day or half a day without having to go work. Yeah. But then it also means too that real wealth is those things that we need that can like that we need to consume that we need to live. Yeah. But money is just dollars, and it's kind of a measure, and that's where I think people get confused. Is that like, uh, for example, you know, watermelon? You want to you want to eat a watermelon on a hot summer day? You go to the store and it's ten bucks, and you're like, wait a minute, last year it was five bucks, so. There might be ten more dollars in your pocket now, or five more dollars in your pocket now, but that watermelon's the same watermelon. So, yeah. at the end of the day, you might have more money in your pocket, but you're buying a watermelon, and it's not ten times better or twice as good, right? Yeah, uh, it's the exact same thing. Yeah, yeah. The only thing that has changed is the amount of money. Yeah. So the real wealth is the watermelon. Yeah. And that's not changed. Like you yeah. haven't become more wealthy now that you have this twice as good watermelon yeah. in your grocery cart, right? <laughs> that's maybe not a great example. Watermelon's just great all the time. <laughs> really? Okay, I'm not such a fan. My no, kids okay. are. But, uh... <laughs> that's why you give it to kids and they just invest you know. in watermelons. I yeah. think that's what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, that, that's a good point, right? Wealth is not money. And sometimes having a lot of money can mean wealth. But when we talk about uh, inflation, for example, right, having a lot of cash is not a great idea because that will eat away at your wealth. Um, do you, you you look like you have something to say no, there. No. no? You, okay. Okay. Um, so well, each person, so I'm just reading this little thing from a book here. So each man sees that if he personally had more money, he could buy more things from others. If he had twice as much money, he could buy twice as many things. If he had three times as much money, he would be worth three times as much. And to many, the, confu- or the conclusion seems obvious that if the government merely issued more money and distributed it to everybody, we should all be that much richer. All right, end of podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so that is uh, Economics in One Lesson by, by Henry Hazlett. Yeah, um, which is a good book, by the way. We should yeah. do a we should review. Do a- yeah. I'm going to do a book club, right? Yeah, we should do. Anyone want to join the book club, reach out. <laughs> Hello at two stewards. <laughs> there you go. Um, but no, he wrote this, I think, what did we say, 46 originally yeah. and then republished in the late 70s. 60s. Um, yeah, yeah, it's good stuff. But uh, yeah, that so that illustrates a point though, right? Money is not wealth and printing more money. Yeah. Right. If you think money is wealth, then printing more money, everybody should be wealthier. Yeah. But that's not true. But even th- um, even not just printing the money, even thinking if you had twice as much money, right? That doesn't equate to wealth because if somebody had twice as much money, but there were no other things to buy, yeah, with that money, he wouldn't be wealthy. He would just. That's the point they're making, right? Is that wealth yeah. is the stuff? So if there is no stuff, or the stuff, for example, is poor quality. Yep. Right. So he wants to go out and buy something better. Like, let's say he's uh what's a good example. Let's say an ax. Okay. He's a lumberjack. Ooh, Cause you're a lump. I like this. You look like a lumberjack. <laughs> 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 well, he wants a better ax, but there is no better ax. He's already at the peak. He has the best ax out there, peak but he axe. has all this money and he wants a better ax. He can't get it. Right. So 
is he wealthy or does he just have a lot of money? Right. And that's the, the difference between the two trying to illustrate it, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that makes sense. And so, yeah, really it's about assets and it, yeah. like we're talking about wealth here, right? We, and again, we understand that true wealth is not of this you know, world, of this world. We like, we get that, but now we're talking specifically about some lessons for this world. So, um, yeah, yeah. we're talking wealth. So it's assets. And, um, and so that, that leads me to asset inflation, right? When the government prints money, when they put more money into the economy, what happens to assets? They go up in, um, <laughs> well, we'll say they go up in value, right? So an asset, it could be, a, um, a Rolex watch, a piece of art, it could be a house. That's what we, you know, primarily we're talking about here. Yeah. The house, and we've seen how You houses... don't sound excited by this. <laughs> is, it, is this a good thing or a bad thing that this happens? Uh, uh, no, it's, no, it's a bad thing. Okay. Right? We've seen the value of houses skyrocket in the last 10 years, right? In, in this area, probably triple. Yeah. It's maybe a little bit less. Uh, or well, the, price, I mean, it was the more. price of them went up. Yeah. The yeah, sorry. The, yeah, okay. The, you're right. The price went up. Uh, in some cases, quadruple over 10 years. And then, we're, you know, we're just back down to like triple now. So, oh, <laughs> terrible, right? The bubble has crashed. But, um, you know, why? And, and now people, like 10 years ago, people weren't really talking about the housing crisis. Yeah. Right? There were some people who were like advocates for homeless and so forth who would have yeah. been. But now it's very it's popular to talk about this because yeah. now it's affecting yeah. middle-class people, yeah. right? Yeah. Once you hit middle-class, everybody cares, everybody cares. Yeah. Right. And there's, yeah, there's a little bit something shameful about that too. But, um, you know, the argument is that investors have caused this, right? Well, investors were doing the same thing they're doing now, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, Since 100 Mark years was ago, born hundreds of years ago. <laughs> Since the time of the Romans and the Spanish galleons. Exactly, exactly. Um, but I mean if we you know, if we want to bring it into our our context of of sort of western civilization um, in the last 100 years whatever, right? Investors haven't really changed their like strategies have changed. Okay, sure. what is an investor? Because <clears throat> that's it, it's almost taken this you know investor is a bad word or it's yeah. a bad person like an investor and that is that founded upon anything investor i mean i think bad. you know what i'll say no yeah <laughs> <laughs> right an investor is just someone who has excess capital yeah that chooses. So that's the first criteria is they have something extra that they want to do something with yeah yeah and I mean, you know, you can have people who maybe are facilitate, facilitating deals and, you know, they don't actually have the money, but they'll bring in a partner who has the money yeah. and they have the expertise. But like, let's just keep it simple. Yeah. yeah. They have some capital that they're going to invest in something. Yeah. And that something has been housing, right? Especially in Canada. It's a huge part of our economy. Um, and like for good reason, because of inflation we've been talking about, right? The increase in the money supply has directly led to the increase in the price of assets yeah. and specifically homes. And that is the number one by like far and away, that is the biggest contributor to housing prices, right? There are, there's actual supply inflation, and demand. Inflation, you mean? Inflation. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Right. There is supply and demand, especially in Southern Ontario. We've always had like strong um, uh, immigration, and, and people moving into the area and a lack of houses, right? And there's tons of data to support this, right? We've always, we've never been able to keep up with the amount of houses that we need to build. And that deficit of housing just keeps getting bigger and bigger every year, um, right? So that's one thing people now are looking at immigration now that the numbers got very big very quickly saying like, whoa, we got to stop this inflation. It's causing housing prices to spike. It's like, guys, housing prices have been, like the last 10 years especially, we didn't have mass immigration like we did. Um, it's been building in the background. Yeah. Nobody was paying attention. You're seeing the effects now. But that, you know, immigration isn't the cause. Immigration doesn't help. Like, and when I say immigration, I'm talking about like massive numbers of people that we don't have the infrastructure or housing to um, support. 
right? So yeah, you have supply and demand, you have immigration. Um, and, but primarily, primarily it is inflation, right? That yeah. causes the price of, uh, of homes to go up. And like, we've talked about this in other episodes. I don't need to beat it to death, but to take a simplistic view that landlords are causing, like, it doesn't even make sense. How is a yeah. landlord causing? Well, you look at it, it I guess simplistic view if you see some like let's say there's a house that comes up for sale yeah and in your neighborhood and they're showing it for a week and then they have offers on the monday or let's say the friday because that's a nice day sure so they have offers on friday and all these people have seen the house and they're uh accepting offers and then they get you know 10 offers and three of them are from investors and seven of them are from homeowners. Mm-hmm. And then the investor gets the house, right? A simplistic view would say, well, the investor who already has a house, presumably, yeah, he couldn't, he might not, but his intention is to not live there or to use it as an, an income stream or an asset in his life. So the investor has bought that house, which is the scarce asset that everybody wants yeah. at the expense of, those other seven or the other two investors and the other seven families, uh, five of which have just recently immigrated here to Canada and don't have anything going for them. So they need a place. Yeah. So is that fair? Like that is what they look like, what people look at, right? They see what happened on the weekend at down the street and they see that the investor now has it and they say, well, that's not fair. So what, what do you say to that? <laughs> <laughs> so I was, like, that makes it real, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. And like, I think it's hogwash, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> to put it uh, very subtly, no, but I'll tell you why, right? The immigrants, generally speaking, right? Unless they're wealthy immigrants, they cannot afford to buy a house now anyways. Yeah. As a result of asset inflation. Yeah. And like general monetary policy, right? They like they don't have a chance. So yeah, there are you do hear stories of, of these bidding wars and stuff. So I don't have all that data. And yeah. we've talked about how an investor may be willing to pay more than ask if they run the numbers and understand that, you know, especially now we have some different rules around intensification. So they're like they may see the potential to add uh, a backyard unit. Yeah. Right. Which would make it worth it for them to pay a little bit more. Um, But I'm not convinced that all the frenzied bidding wars were investors. Right. If you're an investor and I'm not saying every investor behaves rationally. Yeah. But you have a number. And once you go past that number, it does like you can't do it. Yeah. Right. It just it doesn't make sense. So you would be a fool to do it. Um, And most investors like not only that, they may not qualify for financing yeah if they uh, if they go over their budget right yeah um so homeowners on the other hand i've read numerous and this is all anecdotal but i've read numerous stories of homeowners who like you know we're on our 20th offer right we just keep offering more and more and more and more and um all the bidding wars and stuff like my contention is that's probably homeowners bidding up the prices like that not investors Investors may bid it up to a certain level, but then that's it. And yeah. certainly, just looking at my neighborhood, yeah, the houses that went for like a million dollars or more, and we're talking a three-bedroom bungalow, maybe probably yeah. with a finished basement. Um, like there's there's homeowners living there. Yeah, in the examples that I can think of, it's not investors. Um, it, it's the people who bought it that are. Right. So, yeah, but I and, think the argument too is that if investors were to not bid on the house, then a homeowner would get it, and they wouldn't have to bid so high, right? Yeah, and, I don't. Um, and then it's more equitable because everybody would own a house who wants to own a house. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah, what I we guess. should pursue. Yeah, but I mean, everybody wants a nice car. Everybody wants, like, I don't know. Everybody yeah. should have a nice pickup. Well, yeah. everybody can't. Yeah, and that's just. Because they cost a certain amount, and 
Yeah. You know, I would like a rocket ship as well, but I can't afford one. Yeah. Some people can. It's not <laughs> fair that Elon Musk has all the rocket ships and I don't. Right? It's, it's kind of an argument like that. Like yeah. the price is what it is, mainly determined by inflationary. Um, I guess the difference there too is spending. that houses are kind of a human need, right? Yeah. Well, we need a place to live. Yeah. Um, so then shouldn't you care whether or not someone can afford a place to live? Yeah. Um, yeah. So it like, you're right. So then investors should buy all the houses. Yeah. Why? Because investors are much more likely to provide more housing for more people as opposed to that family who's going to move into the bungalow and use the whole thing selfishly for themselves. Right. Yeah. Or maybe it's like an old couple who only needs one bedroom, but they're buying a three bedroom place. Yeah. Because they've downsized from something else, yeah. right? We don't look at all that stuff. But, you know, why should they do that when there's that immigrant family? Yeah. Like, if you really want to be about the poor immigrant families. Yeah. Um, and, like, I'm, I'm talking tongue-in-cheek here. Yeah. Right? I have nothing against <laughs> poor immigrant families. But, you know, if you're genuinely that concerned about people, then you should let investors buy up all the houses. Because who provides housing? Yeah. Investors, right? Yeah. You you said that earlier in a uh, conversation with with one of your clients, right? Um, homeowners don't provide housing; they provide housing for them. They acquire housing for themselves. Yeah, they investors build more housing, yeah. generally speaking. Yeah. Um, and like, especially when you talk about intensification, which is a, a like every, you know every investor that we know is at least thinking about it with, uh, with the properties that they have. And what that does is create more housing for people. Yeah. So whether somebody owns it or not, it's kind of immaterial. If you're like, there's a housing crisis, we, we need, need to get to people into houses. Yeah. We don't need everyone needs to own them. <laughs> yeah. Does everybody need, like, I think there's great value in people owning their own home. Yeah. But if you're taking that argument, then it should just be about getting as many people into uh, housing as possible and then your answer is to let investors provide that because as we've said previously investors provide the housing in canada the vast vast majority yeah, yeah. Government so when the government not, says we will uh, produce or provide housing for uh how many homes is it in the next 10 years they're gonna build <laughs> no i can't it was la like hilarious oh if it was like a hundred thousand or something amount? Yeah. Yeah. Basically, uh, <laughs> nope, we must there. Lost a video here. Okay. Here we go. <laughs> um, yeah, a hilarious amount. Just a hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, once more. It's, I mean, it's not hilarious. You got to hit the button once more okay. there, Brent. Um, you know, not hilarious in, in context, but if you're just looking at it sort of abstractly, like, yeah, we need, uh, I can't remember how many million houses. Yeah, 1.5 million. Yeah, that even C CMHC has uh, has done some work on it and said, like, yeah, we need this many houses. And uh, the government's like, we're going to build, you know, like 5% of that. Yeah. Right? But the, the I guess the point is that the government itself doesn't have framers and excavators and whatever on staff no. to build the houses. Yeah. So how do they build houses? Well, they print money. Yeah. Essentially, because they don't have the money. Yeah. So they take future tax dollars yeah. and overpay generally for uh, because of their own silly For other people who are in the labor market. Yeah. To build the houses. Correct. So they're constrained by the amount of money they can borrow. Yep. which is not really a constraint in the government's case. Yep. And by the amount of supplies and labor they can come up with, which those are actually uh, limits, constraints, right? Like they yep. can't just produce people to work unless they, uh, like we're doing, getting immigrants into the country, right? Yeah, but bringing in immigrants isn't bringing in, like that's not producing framers. No, not necessarily. Right? Like maybe 1% of them are framers or whatever percent. I would zero percent yeah, zero percent really, <laughs> North America is but really the problem the is you bring in a person framing. you bring in a person and even if they are working they still need a house to live in so now you just got your problem even yeah. worse <laughs> like what do you do build your own house yeah you know it's not like that worked in pioneer days yeah right like and that's what they did right yeah. like go out here in yeah. some cases well you could build your own house if we didn't have a building code 
Yeah, this, yeah. Or zoning yeah. policies. Yeah, exactly. Anything, right? But yeah, they would give out land and be like, you know, here, you have this land and do whatever you if want. Your house falls it. down and yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's on, you. on you. So that worked. Yeah. Pioneer days. We're not yeah. pioneer days anymore. Yeah. <laughs> um, Good old throwback. But, but that, that also illustrates part of the problem. The government is going to do something. Okay. So they need to borrow, like, they're not spending money they have. Yeah. To build these but houses. But I was getting to the point that they need investors. They need somebody else in the private sector to take action to actually construct the homes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But I have a different point, which is okay. they are borrowing money to build these houses. Yeah. It's not money that they have sitting around because of their So between our two very crazy brains, very smart brains, we've come up with two reasons why the government's plan to build more houses is a bad thing. <laughs> well, yes, the problem is, right, and you look at the states and the amount of money that is going just towards interest payments. Yeah. Which means they can't spend it on other things. Yeah. And an increasing number of prominent um, investors, politicians, economists. economists are saying, like, something's got to give. Like, we have to, we're going to have to do something real soon because the debt will soon be taking up, uh, like, up to 50%. Just the of payments just for the interest. The interest payments on the debt yeah. are going to take up a huge amount of. Um, of the budget every year, yeah. which Otherwise, means we can't product, spend it yeah. on entitlements, infrastructure, um, housing, you know, veterans, whatever else, yeah. right? So the the point is, when the government has a program to do something, they're actually making it worse because they're borrowing money they don't have. They're creating more. What what do they do? They print more money. Well, when we print more money, we increase the price of assets. Yeah. And, and they're not just doing it with housing, they're doing it with everything, right? But it's just this spiral. Yeah. And like how, like, how do you not see this, people? This, yeah. the price of housing is going to continue to spiral because yeah. we have... Because the value of the dollar. We have a fiat problem. Yeah. The value of the dollar is going to continue to decrease because they have to print more money to service the debt. Yeah. That's the only way out of and this is to print more money the and debt, to get ever increasing amounts. Like if of they debt. don't service the debt, what happens? You default. <sighs> well, like you, that's not good. Yeah. The, so default is is the worst. Because that's case their two scenario. options, right? We're looking at the government's options. They could yeah. either print money or not pay the debts. <laughs> and the <whole laughs> yeah, and that's that's a, poli- a poss- like it's a strong possibility. They're get- I mean, I think default is inevitable in one way, shape, or form, right? Like, essentially, 1971, um, with the abolition of the gold standard, that was a default. Yeah. I never thought about that, but somebody made that point. Like, yeah, actually, they defaulted on their obligations. Yeah. And there are defaults all the time. We don't realize it. Um, But, I mean, you could say that every time they reach the debt ceiling and have to print more money, that's kind of a default. Yeah, that just recently happened, right, in the States. Yeah, I mean, every year it's this big political thing. But um, every time you have to massively increase the money supply, you're sort of defaulting on the obligations you have because you're just, you're watering it all down, making Mm -hmm. it worse. But point is, it's a big snowball. It's a spiral. It's a snowball in a spiral. Ooh. That's, uh, you, you don't want to be... You don't want to be in the path of that. Uh, I mean, I'm making light of it. But um, for people who think that investors are the ones responsible for driving up house prices, absolutely not. And, you know, go back 10 years. Nobody would have predicted. Actually, some people did predict house prices were going to be where they were. Some people are predicting that it's going to continue in lockstep with the amount of government debt that is out there. Uh, and I see no reason why that is incorrect. People are calling for, you know, like, uh, oh, there's going to be a crash in house price. Like, how? Yeah. The amount of money in our society is not going to decrease. Yeah. And not the amount of wealth, the amount of money, the amount of dollars. Yeah. Right? It's going to increase. It has to increase. Yeah. Mathematically speaking. Well, that, and house prices are going before, to But like the value of the house doesn't really change. No. It's the... Uh, the nominal price. At some point, I think the value of a single family detached home will actually increase just by the fact that it's scarce. 
Yeah. And that nobody will be able to have the fiat dollars. I would say the value doesn't it. change at all, but the value changes very, very slowly and small compared to, uh, like when you compare it to the change in the price of it, right? Um, so, for example, the value of uh, a residential lot in a neighborhood with a with a detached, like a single family home on yeah. it. Um, that might change slowly over time as more people want to live in that area. The trees grow taller and the school gets better. And, um, you know, maybe you do some improvements and now it's a nice desirable house to live. So it's a little bit more valuable. Yeah. Um, maybe that value jumps up in steps as, uh, the city says, well, now you can have a legal basement apartment in your house. So now you can produce income from this property. So somebody buying it can say, okay, uh, I'm going to put a little bit of extra money into the basement and now I got, so now the, the, the value went up, right? Cause you could say yeah. that's the value, but the price goes up a lot faster than the value. And those two things, I guess you have to kind of, you, you can't really separate them cause it's hard to do the math. Like you just see the price change, right? Yeah. You don't see, um, the underlying value so much. Yeah. But I, I think there will be a point at which like it will be an anomaly to own a home. Yeah. Never mind two or three or four homes, right? Right? Like right now, yeah, not a lot of people own homes. Like a lot of people own homes, a lot of people don't. You can get yeah, there eventually. This, At some point, it's just going to be unattainable. If the current trends continue, right? If yeah. the government keeps printing money. Yeah. And if, yeah. Yeah. At some point, I think it'll be just unattainable. Yeah. to ever buy a house unless you already have them. And that's at that point, I think the value goes up because there's always a chance now to buy one. Eventually, like if you don't have one, you're not going to get one. Yeah. And um, then it's absolute scarcity. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> we got a little bit off topic there again. But um, Well, okay, what just on investors, right? Because we're talking about yes. investors bad. Well, what about the situation where a homeowner buys a house? Yeah. And then they put a basement apartment in. Yeah. Now they're an investor. Yeah. Right? Like people talk about, no, we should support homeowners. Um, so yeah, doing what, what whatever, makes them like, an investor? What's that? What makes them an investor? Like they're still living in the house. Like how would you say, oh, okay. Well, they've taken capital and they've uh, invested that. They've risked it on something to produce a, uh, a future gain. Yeah. Um, they're making a sacrifice. Their living space got half as big as before. Yeah. Well, I mean, maybe they never used the basement yeah. too, okay. right? Yeah. It's possible. And yeah, the option actually, to. Well, actually, I know more young couples like that who have bought a house with an unfinished basement. Like that's, you know, sort of your typical move, right? You buy the yeah. house with the unfinished basement. I think you did the same thing, right? <laughs> you slowly finish that basement. Yeah. It was so you're uh, investing your time, your labor, your money onerous process that <laughs> finishing and living in the basement well of course you're the owner <laughs> it would be onerous uh, <laughs> dad joke of the day um you gotta stick around to the end folks <laughs> <laughs> but yeah like as soon as you do that when you're trading your time uh effort money um and and, and you know improving the asset yeah and now, you know, making a place for someone else to live. You're an investor. Yeah. So whether it's a, an investor buying that home and densifying it and he doesn't live there or you buy it and you live there and you in, intensify it, like you're still an investor. Yeah. So anybody who rents out their basement apartment, essentially you're an investor. Yeah. Right. Even if you bought the house finished, like you paid a premium for that uh, finished uh, basement apartment um, to rent it out. So considering the amount of people that actually do that, like it's a lot more investors than we thought. doesn't yeah. mean you're going out to buy a second home, yeah. but can you make a distinction that you didn't buy another property? Like you still provided another living space for someone. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And there was costs and yeah. sacrifice involved in yeah. creating that. Okay. Man, we put all kinds of arguments to bed here. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> uh, now I can go to bed. All right. <clears throat> Um, yeah, but we should probably wrap up there cause that's like an hour. Okay. And, um, I'm sure people are falling asleep by now. <laughs> All right. So yeah. What did we talk? We talked about borrowing. We talked about, uh, investors. That's really all we talked about. Yeah. But, um, not bad and not the boogeyman. Those are my conclusions. <laughs> <laughs> so 
thank you for listening folks um yeah we hope to catch you on the uh on the next uh episode on check out a bit longer yeah i mean follow along right it's gonna be painstaking <laughs> oh, shoot, oh, shoot. <laughs> but um, month by month week by week that beard's gonna get longer <laughs> uh, but if you have questions hit us up at two stewards t-w-o stewards uh dot c-a is it dot c-a hello at well you can go to the website yeah, and get yeah. us from there and uh, we're happy to chat with you so till next time steward your wealth wisely thanks for listening to this episode of the two stewards show if you like my voice better click subscribe and if you like my voice better click share if you like both give us a five-star rating to interact with the show feel free to reach out at hello at two stewards.ca we'll see you in the next episode in the meantime steward your wealth wisely <laughs>